Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, church. It's good to be able to gather again, week in and week out. Some of you online, some of you in person. If you are new with us, my name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn, and we're glad that you're with us on Reformation Sunday. Some of you might go, I didn't know that's what today was, but this is what's considered Reformation Sunday. That's not what my sermon's about today, although it could be, and where the really this idea of the Protestant church where it got started with uh, Martin Luther, and he nailed his 95 Theses on the door of the Catholic Church, and we're explaining that to our kids a little bit this morning, just saying that, you know, it's why we, at Sojourn, we believe in studying God's Word, and we believe that it's truth, and it's inerrant, and that we want to live by that and abide that by that, and so happy Mar- or happy Reformation Sunday. Uh, I forgot my Martin Luther costume, but maybe one of these days I will get one. Um, we are in our final two weeks of our series, We Are the Church, and this week we'll be back in the book of Acts, so if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts in your copy of Scripture, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back, or the words will be behind me if my podium is not blocking them. Uh, we'll be in Acts of chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 30, and then we'll also look at the very last part of Acts 12, and then the first few verses of Acts 13. The main point of our message this morning is sending. And what does it mean to be a sending church? What does it mean to be a church that multiplies, who sends out missionaries, and who plants churches, hopefully here in our city and in our nation and in our world? Now, you might be thinking, our church is pretty young, right? Yes, our church is young. I don't even know how to answer how old our church is. People say, how old Sojourn? I say, I really don't know, but we're somewhere between the infancy stage and the toddler stage. Yeah. So we're somewhere between, like, we're probably still in diapers or at least pull-ups. We're trying to figure out about crawling and walking and all of those things, but we're a very young church. But regardless how old of our church is, it's important to remember that our church is part of something much bigger. It's not about just our history. It's not about ourselves, but we are actually part of the church of Acts. And so our story starts in Acts 2. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, that that is our history as a church plant. Study scripture. God has always had a people for himself. God has always been gathering people for himself who he's chosen, who he's blessed. And he sent them out to be a blessing. But the book of Acts is the beginning of this pivotal point in redemptive history. We see Acts describes the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes down. It's the explosive beginnings of the church. And so people say, where, you know, where did the church begin? And well, you know, as we even know it today, well, we look back to Acts, because that history is our history. And it's the start of the missionary history of the church, where we see them being sent out to their, their, locate, their locale, but then also to the ends of the earth. And so the story of Acts should encourage us as a church plant to see God gathering people for himself. And we, as a church, because we are a church, we also get to be part of that history we can be part of that story. We looked at it a little bit last week, and we'll look at, again, this idea of Acts 29. There is no Acts 29. We are the continuation of this story as a local church. Stop thinking about the faithfulness of God for a minute. They're kind of in your life, but then let's think about the faithfulness of God broadly. How the gospel went from Jerusalem, which is we're going to see is Jerusalem's kind of the mother church and the sending church for the apostles. It went all the way from Jerusalem, and it eventually made its way all the way to the city of Portland, And it means all the way to Sojourn Church. And so we kind of trace this storyline that that is also part of our storyline. And as we ended last week with this reminder that one day, one day, we hope we get to have this glorious reunion 
And we won't be spectators. We'll be participants. We'll be at this glorious banquet table. And it'll be a reunion filled with our redeemed family from all ages. Like if any of you are history buffs and you love history, like all those people that were, were saved and Christians, always from Bible times and other times throughout history, and then from all around the world. It'll be all tribes, tongues, and nations. People of all different backgrounds, people of all different colors participating in this banquet that'll be a perfect banquet, you know? Think about the best Thanksgiving you've ever had. Now, some of you, Thanksgiving's coming up. That's my favorite holiday. Some of you think, oh, no, I don't like Thanksgiving because I have to see my family. And those of you think, I love Thanksgiving because I get to see my family, depending which one it is. But think about the, the family you actually want to see, okay? We won't talk about the crazy aunt and uncle you don't want to see, but the ones you want to see. Like, that's what this banquet's going to be like. There won't be anyone that we have prejudice against. Like, we all want to come together because we are all redeemed by Jesus who called us to himself. And we'll have this, this glorious banquet. You know, it's mysterious how God works. I sometimes say, why would God want to use us? Why would God want to include us in his story? But he doesn't only include us in the story. He actually gives us an active role. You know, we get a part in the play. We're not just behind the scenes. We're not just the spectators. But he says, I have to have a role for you in this. And that we get to continue and contribute to what God has called the church to on mission. And so the church, yes, it was birthed in the book of Acts. But we saw as it ends abruptly, and it is to be continued, and we are a part of that continuation of Acts. Not the only church, but all local churches. But this is part of our story is that we are living that out as if the chapter of Acts 29 is still being written today. Now, to help us understand what it means to be a sending church, we'll be looking at the church of Antioch. And I've discovered, after studying Antioch this week, I was, Andrea and I were having some conversations with the house, I've determined that if we ever are called to plant a church again, don't look at Andrea right now because she's shaking her head no, but if we were ever called to plant a church again, or for some reason we ever had to rename Sojourn, I think I would probably name it Antioch because of what we're going to see today. And that the Antioch church is where this missionary movement actually started. And so to set the context and the setting, we need to know a little bit about Antioch. At this time, it was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world, just next to um, Rome and Alexandria having over 500,000 people. Now, we hear that today. I mean, it's a large city, but at that time, that was a huge city, 500,000 people. So it was very large. It was very influential. It was located 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was 30 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea, which is now modern-day um, southeast Turkey. And it sat at a major crossroads of highways going north, south, and east. It kind of reminded me of the second song that we were singing, like we sing the praises of God to all these directions. And so they had all these directions that were the crossroads of major highways went right through Jerusalem. And it was a remarkably, remarkably diverse city. There were Greeks, there were Romans, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, Asians. I mean, talk about a really diverse place. And naturally, when you find that much diversity, you're going to find uh, religiously they were pluralistic and they were a very idolatrous city. Right? You've got all these competing worldviews. And you've got all these, these idols and these gods that different groups of people worship. Does it sound too uncommon for major cities today? Is it not? That most major cities are very multicultural, you know. Unfortunately, that's probably not the high point of Portland. But we have some diversity. But you find these diverse cities, and they have all these competing worldviews, right? And you've got things coming in from different nations and different cultures, different backgrounds, and different religions. But it also makes it a very great place to do what? Send missionaries and to plant Churches, which I would argue this, this sermon is not necessarily on the Great Commission, but it kind of is the fulfillment of it. I would argue that one of the best ways is planting of new churches. And that's how we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. And so as we turn to our passage this morning, we will identify five aspects of a missional church. So five aspects of a missional church from the church at Antioch. And so the first one is, number one, is commit to Jesus. 
Um, Elliot, if you want to go ahead and flip to that first slide. It's Commit to Jesus, chapter 11, verse 19. Uh, then we'll eventually get through 22. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, what Luke is doing here, because Luke, once again, is the author of Acts, he is showing us that the outward movement of the gospel expanded in two ways. It expanded geographically and expanded culturally. So Luke had written earlier, I apologize for the feedback, I might move a little bit and see if that makes it worse. <laughs> Luke wrote earlier in chapter 8, verse 1, that as a result of the persecution which broke out after Stephen's martyrdom, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So they've all been scattered, right? The church could no longer be together the way that they had been. So they're scattered throughout all of these places. And he now resumes his narrative. He picks it up and he says, the result was that those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went, telling the message. And so what's really kind of um, unique, and if you look at this story, is that you would think, oh no, they were persecuted and they had to spread and they were kind of spread thin, had to go all throughout. But as a result, this actually started this great missionary movement. Because now all of a sudden this message that all believers are given was going to all of these places that it had not reached yet as a result. And so it's like even, even in the, the midst of a man meant for evil intent of persecution, God used it for good. And that message spread throughout and went to other places. And this may not sound like a big deal to us, but this actually points back to our message last week. If you were with us or if you weren't, you can go back and listen on witnessing that these early Christians, every man, woman, child who identified themselves with Christ, they saw it as their job. Not the job of the pastors, not the job of the apostles, the job of, of them themselves to spread the message of Jesus and the gospel all places that they went. And so we see this missionary movement start with unknown evangelists. We don't know many of their names. We're only told very few here. And so if you've ever wondered, you know, we're in the news a lot. We talk about that some, but if you ever wonder, how's the city of Portland going to be reached? How is our city going to be reached? How is our nation going to be reached? How will the nations be reached? Through ordinary, everyday, unknown evangelists like you and me who learn how to contextualize the gospel going into our norms and our networks of life witnessing. So it's going to take you and me opening our mouths and sharing this message that Jesus has entrusted us with. And so it's going to spread through you and through me. Continue in verse 20. Says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so we see the exiled Jews, as they were spread, first they only preached to fellow Jews, right? kind of fellow mankind. They were like, we're comfortable with fellow Jews, we kind of know how to speak the language to Jews, so this is who we're going to preach this message to. But there was an intentional decision made in this passage made by some of the Jews, the ones that were Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, it says from Cyprus and Cyrene, who had settled in Antioch, what they began to do, which was kind of revolutionary at this time, is they began preaching and witnessing to Gentiles. So they kind of broke the norms, and they, they kind of crossed the aisle, so to speak, and they went to the other side and said, we're going to also preach to the Gentiles, because all people need to hear. I think about sometimes our mission teams will come to, to support us as a church plant, and they'll come in, and sometimes they'll come in with different methods of, of evangelism, strategy, and none of that's necessarily bad, in case you're tuning in this morning, but, and, we, and we love you, but they'll come in and go, man, we want to go share the gospel the way we do in Texas. And in Texas, you know, we do it big and loud, and they respond this way, and I go, whoa, 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 this is not Texas, okay? This isn't even really Oregon, this is Portland. We like stand out like a sore thumb, we're kind of an island to ourselves. The message is the same, amen, but... We want to contextualize our message to the city where we have found ourselves. And that's what they're doing. 
In order to be good evangelists, you need to know the gospel well, but you also need to know the people to whom you are speaking well. And so that's why we, we're uh, students of culture. You know, part of what I, what, what I do, part of my weeks, you might be wondering is, yes, I spend some time preparing messages for our weekend, but also I, I spend time prayer walking our city and kind of trying to learn different things. Oh, okay, that's interesting. That's different from where maybe I grew up, or that's, that kind of stands out to me. So that we're good students of our culture as well. So that we can, yes, know the head knowledge of the, the nuts and bolts of Jesus and the gospel, but we also want to know our culture so that we're speaking in a way that makes sense to them. In verse 21 and 22, they're, they're, they are vital to the success of the missionary, of any missionary church. This is what it says, and this is really key. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. I don't know about you, but I want the hand of the Lord with me, right? Like, mom and dad are great, and I have their hand, and my wife's great, and the family, but I want the hand of the Lord to be with me, right? When you think if you're going into battle, which really we are, like, there's this thing called spiritual warfare, and we go into battle every single day, right? Even this morning, we may have felt some of that, and then we leave this place, but hey, I want the hand of the Lord with me, because if you've got the hand of the Lord with me, then it's going, you're going to be okay as you go into battle. And so this is a reminder that the remarkable expansion of the church came about only by God's power, not by human wisdom or skill. This is a great reminder for me as a church planter and sojourn as a church plant that how are we going to grow and expand? This thing, I know I think about this a lot more than you guys do, okay? It's kind of like my job, I feel like. But we're going to grow and expand through the hand of the Lord being on us, right? There, there's, there's even new churches starting our city, and sometimes I question whether, why they even call themselves a church, because they're getting away from the Bible. They're not even using the Bible. And they just have kind of these talks and get in tune with yourself and nature. And I'm like, man, I, don't, I, I want the hand of the Lord on us, right? And I want the hand of the Lord to be who, who's going in front of us, who's going before us. Because it's through God's power. And part of the way that we're going to do that as a church is we're going to seek him through prayer. We're going to say, God, we need you to come down. God, we need you to move. Move Matt out of the way. Move all of us out of the way. Move our, our strategies out of the way, our methodology. All those are going to fall fat, flat ultimately if the hand of the Lord is not on us and on them. Now, the church in Jerusalem was what they call the mother church. We use the more modern terminology. Now, we say the sending church for all Christians in those days. It was the church of the apostles, and it was actually the link back to Jesus. So when the mother church in Jerusalem heard of Antioch's witness to the Gentiles, they wanted to encourage this new outreach. They said, we want to go and encourage this new thing, this new work of God that's happening. So they sent this guy named Barnabas, who was known as the encourager. Now, we all have different gifts, but like, I think that'd be a really cool one for some of you to be known as the encourager because we all need people who encourage us in our lives. We all have critics. There's not an endless supply of critics. I don't know. I think there's a lot of the critics in the church, but we need some encouragers. So Barnabas is the encourager, and as a church plant, trust me, that's who you want to come because you know there's a lot of faults and things. You need the ones who are going to encourage you. And so he went to help take care of this young, multicultural church. Now, if you've ever wondered... Why do we have short-term mission teams come back? Like, isn't it a lot of work? Yeah, it is a lot of work. Doesn't it take a lot of time and effort, sometimes money? Like, yes, it, it does. But they come because one, one is our sending church, kind of our, our mother church. This is the church actually where I grew up in. And then we have all these partnering churches. And if you've ever wondered why they come, I encourage you to interact and get to know them. They come to serve us and they come to encourage us. That's why they come. And once again, if you're tuning in this morning, I know some of you do. We thank you for that. We, we value that encouragement that you give us. And so we see the first missional, first, the missional church commits to Jesus' vision and ministry. Second, Elliot, next slide, please, is the disciple, they disciple believers. So pick up in verse 23, and we'll, we'll end up through 26. 
It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and, and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he immediately saw for himself the evidence of the grace of God. So he shows up, once again, not to, not to be critical of it, but to say, like, let me see what God is doing here. I've heard about this church, and we're seeing these, these changed lives and these new believers and this new international community which is getting started. And so he expressed his joy and praise. He encouraged him to remain faithful to the Lord, going, hey, I know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to be hard, but I encourage you to remain faithful. And he exhorted them to perseverance and wholeheartedness. Now, verse 24 is a reminder for us that it's the Lord who does the adding, not the church. It's not the church planters. It's not the missionaries. This actually points us back to verse 21 of the need for the hand of the Lord to be upon the work because it's the Lord who adds to the number. It's the Lord who does the saving. It's the Lord who does the adding. Verse 25, it says, So Barnabas, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so Barnabas' next action, he went, he found them, he encouraged them. Now he went to find Saul, and Saul was in Tarsus, which is actually Saul's hometown. He had gone there from Jerusalem, where he had been sent seven to eight years previously when his life was threatened. He finds Saul. We're not really told what Saul had been doing for those seven to eight years, but he finds Saul, and they went out for Antioch for a year of preparation. And they went for a preparation for a much greater missionary journey to come. And so we see that Barnabas not only encourager, he also exemplifies humility here because he could have taken it all for himself. And we see that this a lot of modern ministry, right? Like, I want all the credit. Now I want all the, look at me, look what I did, look what I did. And he goes, I'm looking for Saul. I need a ministry partner. I need help in this ministry. And it says, once they got together for an entire year, they taught and discipled these new believers. They, and they taught disciples so that they would know all about Christ. They wanted them to have the facts. They wanted them to have the head knowledge uh, and the significance of his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, his spirit, his present reign and future coming. They wanted them to make sure that they, they had an answer for why they have faith, for an answer why it is that, that they are Christ followers. They were instructed. They were held accountable. They were encouraged. And it's here at Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. If you've ever wondered, why are we called Christians today? This is why. Up until that point, they've been called believers, people of the way, those who are being saved. But here, they're actually called Christians for the very first time. And it likely reflects a label applied by the unbelieving public around them, that they saw the way that they were living their lives. Now, some scholars, and this is speculation, we're not told this in Scripture, but they're speculating that it may have been because the word of Christ was on their lips so often, that they so often were talking about Christ, that they said, these are Christians, you know, we, we probably use Jesus, Jesus Christ, but Jesus more a little bit more than we do Christ here. So as we like the people of Portland going like, those are the Jesus people, which to me would be a great, great compliment. That's what we want to be known for. They're constantly talking about Jesus. And when you look at this culture and this time and you look at it today, many people today still assume that one's religion is based on one's race, their class, or their family. But Antioch showed the world something entirely different. It's here at the church of Antioch. It's the birthplace of a diverse church that would be the launching pad for missions. And so we see the missional church was committed to Jesus. They discipled believers. And number three, our next slide, Elliot, just take care, they took care of others. They took care of the needs of others. So we're going to look at verses 27 through 30, and we'll finish chapter 12. It says, Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. 
So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now we see the role of a Christian prophet. It often involved encouragement. It often involved edification. But at times they foretold the future, which is what's happening here with Agabus. Luke's concern, though, is not so much with the fulfillment of this prophecy coming true. His, his concern is with the generous response of the Antioch church. That an opportunity had been presented to them. There was a need of another church, and how are they going to respond to this need? If you look back at verse 29, it says, So the disciples determined to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So we see they got together, and their decision led to action. They didn't just get together and talk about it, right? The church is really good about talking about things. All right, and we've done that some. We can talk about stuff and we see needs and we can do this and then it's kind of like in one ear, out the other and then six months later we might revisit that. But they got together, they talked about it and it led immediately to action. And very soon they're sending their gifts by the way of the elders by Barnabas and Saul who represented the church at Antioch by delivering its offering to the Jerusalem church in a time of need. And so yes, you can say, well, we can just do this on an individual basis, right? As Christ followers, like absolutely. You learn of a need of a neighbor or a friend or a coworker or just see something in our city, like sure, you can help on an individual basis. But I would argue that it's important, and we see a precedent here, of being part of a mercy ministry collectively as a church, something that God has called us all to. This is why we do work with the Portland Rescue Mission. This is why we do work with every child. This is why we, we asked of you to be generous in giving to our benevolence fund, because especially in 2020, and even some in 2021, we help pay people's rent. We actually help pay for some bills. And you might wonder, where's that money come from? It comes from you. We're not able to do those things if we're not all generous and contribute to these things. And so I think we see the precedent here that we should be something part of a mercy ministry collectively as a church. And so we see the missional church is committed to Jesus' mission. They disciple believers. They took care of others in need when they found out of a need. And number four, they pursued diversity. Elliot, next slide. So verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 25, and we'll go through chapter 13, verse 1. It says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, and Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So they returned from the relief journey to Jerusalem. So we see they return. They returned to Antioch with Mark, who will accompany them at a future missionary journey, which is actually tremendously successful among the Gentiles. And we see there's this cosmopolitan population in Antioch reflected the membership and the leadership of the church at this time. So we see all these prophets and teachers. We see first there was Barnabas, whom he had earlier described as a Levite from Cyprus. Second was Simeon, who um, was a Hebrew name um, called Niger, who was presumably a black African. We see there was third was Lucius of Cyrene, who came from North Africa. We see fourth was Manian, who is called the Greek from Cytrophos of Herod the Tetrarch, that is, of Herod of Antipas, son of Herod the Great, and fifth was Saul, who, of course, was from Tarsus and Sicilia. Now, you might wonder, why do they mention this? Because these men symbolized the ethnic and cultural diversity of the church at Antioch, which, again, which is pretty key and pretty important, because up until this point, it had been pretty um, isolated and pretty kind of everyone siloed off to themselves. And so this is one of the first things that would have caught your attention if you were to visit the church at Antioch. You go, wow, this is a very culturally diverse and ethnically diverse Church, which at that time would have been rare and abnormal. And so one of the things I love about Sojourn, about our church plant, is this is a desire of ours, that we want to accurately reflect a, a multi-ethnic church. 
right? And once again, in Portland, it's not, and we're not the most diverse city, but we want to do this in a natural way, but we also want to do this because we see that it's really more of a, I'd say, a biblical way, a biblical norm that we should reflect the cultural diversity found within our neighborhood. And even as our size, I think we actually have a pretty good multicultural background represented. I think that's one of the things that you will notice at Sojourn as you talk with individuals and if their backgrounds. And that's one of the things that I love about the church. And statistically, we're actually probably way above um, the average church in the United States. And we will continue to pursue diversity. Not for diversity's sake. Not because our culture dictates that, oh, that would be a good thing. You know, a lot of companies have got, got, gone through this and different training. Oh, we should, we should probably add this and do this. But we do it because it's modeled here by the church in Acts. We pursue diversity because it's a biblical reflection of God's heart. That's why we pursue diversity. That is the only reason we pursue diversity. Is it because we're trying to fill some, some quota or, or, or try to say, look at us? Because it's a biblical reflection of God's heart. Remember that banquet that we're going to be part of in the future? There's going to be people from all different tribes, nations, languages, all different colors. And we're going to go praise God. So why not? we're going to be a poor reflection of it right now. But why not go ahead and start doing that now as much as, God, as, as, much as we're able? And so we do it because we want to, uh, we want to reflect God's heart. And finally, number five, we see that a missional church sends out missionaries and plants churches. Elliot, final slide, please. Chapter 13 begins the story of the, the mission to the ends of the earth. We see the mission to the Gentiles is not new in this section of Acts. It actually happened previously. But what is new in these chapters, I want to catch this, is for the first time a local church was led to see the need for a witness beyond themselves. They were led to see a witness beyond what was kind of right there next to them. So it'd be like us finally going, okay, we've, we've done a lot of outreach in Portland, but now it's time to go elsewhere and look at other places. And so they're finally commissioning missionaries to carry out the task of spreading the good news to the ends of the earth. And so prior to this, witness and mission had been restricted mostly to their own uh, locale. And the Antioch Church was the first Christian congregation to witness to the Gentile in its own city. So they're the very first one. So this is a very important church. You know, this is the church that, that they would look back and they would maybe make a documentary on them. They go, look at this church. that kind of broke the norm, right? We watched the movie uh, 42, the story of Jackie Robinson a couple weeks ago as a family. And we're going, man, like, yeah, it was more than just baseball. There was a much bigger story there, right? So this is the church that they would make in movies and documentaries. Man, they, they did something that was not normal at that time. And they were the first church to catch this vision for foreign missions. So if you wonder, like, why did churches talk about missions and sending people out to be as missionaries? It starts here with Antioch, and they also became the first to send missionaries into the larger world. So they didn't just talk about it. They didn't just say, this is a goal we attained to. They actually sent out missionaries, and praise God they did. Once again, it went from Jerusalem all the way to eventually to Portland, so that you and I heard this gospel message. And then if you don't know Jesus today, hopefully you get to hear that message today and respond to him in faith. Tony Marita, he says, if a church isn't sending, it's ending. One reason for this is that sending and church planting constantly keeps the mission in front of people in their sending church. And I agree with that. You know, once again, I know you might say, man, we're small, we're young, how can we do these things? But I don't think we want to wait. You know, I don't think we want to wait till we're a certain size. In fact, I think I've told you many of you this before, maybe you don't know, from day one, 4% of our internal giving, so once again, you might think, where does our giving go? 4% of our internal giving from day one has gone to church planting. And that sounds crazy. You go, why would you go ahead and give away? Like when I got married, Andrea and I did not give away 4% of our budget to something like totally outside of us, right? And we were regular tithers and that kind of thing. But 4% we give outside to church planting because we believe in it. And Antioch's church, they certainly modeled this for us. Pick up in verse 2 of chapter 13. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, 
The Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, the they there likely refers to the whole congregation, not just the leaders. And it says they were worshiping and fasting. What this indicates is this church was, they were in a season of expectancy. They had a frame of mind and openness to the Lord. That we're going to set a time, we're going to worship, and we're going to fast, and we're going to pray. And so it marks the significance of this occasion where the church felt it was necessary to lay aside even the, the demands of hunger in order to concentrate on serving the Lord and to receive guidance from the Holy Spirit. Church, this is why we set aside regular times of prayer. Sunday mornings, it's, it honestly kind of gets to be an add-on if, if set up's late, and that was one of this morning, so if you were to hear, I'm just being transparent, but that's why we have 9.30 prayer on Sunday morning. The idea is that we are set up and ready to go and that we can seek the Lord for the, the morning ahead of us, but also for the week ahead and for the needs of the world. This is why sometimes we'll do times of midweek prayer and early morning prayer. This is why we do times of fasting together. This is why we do nights of worship. It's not just to fill our calendar. It's not so that you go on our website and you look at events and go, man, we got a lot going on this summer or this fall or this winter. It's so that we can be expectant and ready with a frame of mind that we want to hear from the Holy Spirit on what's next. You know, I told you this a couple weeks ago in this series that Jesus is our senior pastor, right? And so you don't want me to get in that role, in that position, right? You want me to be behind that as we lead out, but we all need to hear from the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And it's often during these times of prayer and fasting and worship that God will reveal his will. It's often during these times that he might call you specifically. So maybe that's why you don't want to show up because God might call you and you might not want to be obedient to that. But you need to come with an open heart, an expectant heart. It's during these times that we are reminded that the mission of God is inaugurated by God himself. Right? If you've been following the Lord for any amount of time, you hopefully you can look back at seasons of your life. And maybe it, it doesn't have to be some spectacular event, but maybe it was a worship night, or maybe it was a, a 24-hour fast, or maybe it was this time of, of prayer that God impressed something upon your heart and called you to where you are right now in life. Or maybe you've been called and you're in preparation to go to that next place. John Stott, he said, for seldom, if ever, is fasting an end in itself. It is a negative action, abstaining from food and other distractions for the sake of a positive one, worshiping or praying. And then it says, after they had fasted and prayed, they assured themselves of God's call and they prepared themselves to obey it. All right, so once again, that's kind of the second part. God might call you and you might be running from that call, but hopefully you hear the call from God. And I think if you're in a season of actually fasting and praying and worshiping and seeking the Lord, you're more likely to obey it. It's when you probably hear that call and you're maybe distracted with other things and you're, you're trying to avoid some of that that you're maybe going to be more disobedient to it. And we see they placed their hands on them and they sent them off as they were commissioned to go out as missionaries. So verse 3 says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now the they there, again, it probably refers to the entire congregation, not just the leaders. It says the congregation responded in faith. They recognized that these individuals were being called by God. And so they're, they're laying on their hands, and, which is a significant posture and gesture of commissioning, indicating the church's support of their mission. In other words, the church kind of saying, we're, we're, we're laying hands on you to agree with the Holy Spirit that you are called and we are sending you out. And they provide the, this physical indication and imparting the Holy Spirit's power to them. Go now with the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit to where God is calling you to go. This is why we regularly will lay hands on people and we pray for them. Or, or even if we have short-term people, we had interns this summer and they came here as, as missionaries. And we want to send them back as missionaries because mission is wherever you are. 
It's, it's not like, okay, they came to Portland, now they're on mission. I kept saying it all summer long. Every Monday we'd meet and say, you were on mission in Texas, now you're on mission here. But when they went back to their mission field in Texas, it looks different than Portland. So he said, we want to lay hands on you and, and agree with the Spirit, commission you back to the life the Holy Spirit is calling you to in this season. Our prayer is that God would send some of them back here long-term once they graduate. So if you're tuning in, then I'm going to send you the sermon if you're not, so that maybe God's calling you to come back and join us as laborers. And so it says they sent out, and they're called by the Holy Spirit, and they're recognized or affirmed by the church. Now, there's some extremes you want to avoid here. Right? And I think we see this a lot with our generation. And I, I know I've talked about this a lot in our series, which is, I'm kind of giving you some insights, kind of why we did this series. So we look at We Are the Church, but a lot of uh, younger generation, the, the generation behind me, I read an article this week in New York Times that was saying how the, the Gen Z and the 20-somethings, and some of you might be in the room, that you're redefining the work culture. That the average manager at, at a, a company now is 37 years old. I'll be 36 in a couple weeks. And so I'm like, okay, we're kind of the, the average workforce manager, but the Gen Z's already redefining it. I thought, this morning it hit me, I said, I told you it wasn't the sermon, but I guess I added anyway, is that um, they're redefining the church as well. And some of that's good and positive, right? They're bringing some good things. But also I see this, this shift and this, this trend of like, we don't need the church. It's just us and God. Like That is not the biblical way that God set it up. This is not the precedent here. And so we have to avoid two extremes. The first is the tendency to individualism, which is the American way anyway, by which a Christian claims I had direct personal um, direction from the Spirit of God without any reference to the church. The way that we see that, that God typically works, maybe not always, but typically works, is that you'll have this call, you'll feel it, but then you'll be affirmed by your church. You'll be affirmed by the leaders. And the second tendency we want to avoid is institutionalism, by which all decision-making is only done by the church and that we don't leave room for the Spirit of God. We need a balance of both, and I, see, I think the precedent we see here is both. And it's still the responsibility of every single local church, and that would include us, especially with its leaders, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in order to discover whom he may be gifting and who he may be calling out, whom he may be doing something in to say, you know what, I see this in you. Future deacons, future elders, future missionaries, people who are raised up from within. And that's kind of the long-term goal. Like, yes, we pray and, and joke and, and pray and poke and prod that people to come and join us as laborers. And we do want that. But long-term, we want to see the church grow so that we can grow up within. So that even the children one day are being equipped and affirmed and laid hands and called out to go to different places. And so we see that the commissioning and departure of the missionaries was preceded by a further session of prayer and fasting. This time, no doubt, a period of intercession for their future work. Once again, this is something that I know some of our partners do faithfully for us. I get texts every week, I'm praying for you. I get a text every Sunday from an individual. They send it like 4 a.m. our time. And thankfully, my watch doesn't wake me up because at 7 a.m. their time, they don't want to forget. They say, I'm praying for you. I got it this morning. So I'm praying for the Spirit's power to be in the word that you preach this morning. And I say, thank you. Amen. But I'll tell them much later in the day. But that's what they're praying for. That's what they're fasting for is that this future work, now that they've sent out these missionaries, that God would go before them. And so it says, then the missionaries were commissioned by the church, by the laying on of hands, and it acts of this blessing and this, um, really this, this um, commending of the grace of God as they go. And so it's worth noting, I've just got a couple more things, we'll wrap up. It's worth noting, these churches sent out their best. There was another article that I read real recently. I don't remember who wrote it. But it's seven things about, or eight things about a church sending out their best. They should be members of the churches identified for missions. Going to the missionary without a church's affirmation is a lot like baptizing yourself. You don't do it. Right? So you don't just go on the mission field and isolate. Like You need the church to affirm you and to hopefully hear the Holy Spirit and to lay hands and to send you out. They should love the church. The church is God's chosen method to advance the gospel. Once again, this breaks my heart when my own generation, the one behind me, is leaving the church. Like This is the God's chosen message for the, the, um, method for the advancement of the gospel. So how are we going to be able to do this apart from the church? 
But if a missionary doesn't love the church, if they don't see the need for the church in their own lives, then they aren't loving what Jesus loves or prioritizing what Jesus prioritizes. And that's a point worth taking home with you. They should know what the church is. They should know what the church is, what the church does, the basic mission of the church, and the ultimate reason for the church. I think many, many of my own generation, the reason they leave the church is they weren't disciples to know about the church. So part of it's not their fault. It's the churches they were part of. Number four, they should know the difference between cultural and biblical norms. All right, there's some cultural norms, there's some biblical norms. Cultural forms always are secondary, not unimportant, but biblical principles are what comes first and foremost, always. They should be mature. If you wouldn't put a missionary on your church staff, assuming you had the funds to do so, don't put them on a plane to go to a mission field. Number six, they should know and live in line with the gospel. The gospel doesn't just get us saved. Our lives must be lived in line with the gospel. I have like 20 Tim Keller quotes, but I'm going to spare you. They should understand, number seven, the power of the church in evangelism. Members should be aware that the greatest tool of evangelism are our love and unity in the church, right? It says that we will be known by our love for God and for one another. And number eight, they should be cross-culturally willing and able. They should show the ability to be servants and learners in cross-cultural situations. Not to go to another place to make it just like it was in the U.S. Or in my case, yes, I have an accent. Well, I won't ever fully get rid of that. But I didn't come to Portland to make it just like Raleigh, North Carolina. I came to live as a missionary and to see God move and to God raise up and start a church. These are the types of people that Sojourn wants to send out. These are the types of people that we see the church in Antioch send out. And that might lead you to another question. Well, why plant churches? Aren't there enough churches? Even in our city, one of the least churches in the country, isn't there enough churches around here? There's a few reasons. We plant churches, one, to align ourselves with the purposes of God. We plant churches because the Great Commission points to church planting. No, you won't see the terms church planting, but when you see the gospel message um, shared and you see people get saved and you gather that group of people into a group of disciples and all of a sudden you look around and you have a church. The math works. Third, the New Testament church was largely a collection of church plants. That's what we see and so that's what we want to be in Portland. And finally, Paul's basic ministry methodology was urban church planting. So in addition to these reasons, in an urban setting like Portland, that we continue to grow, there's a continued need for more churches. You know, we see different types of churches. I, I, I'm friends with Romanian church planners. I'm friends with Korean church planners. I'm friends with Chinese church planners. There's different people groups, different language groups that we're going to be unable to reach. You see different pockets of the city. And so there's a need for more church planting. So as a church, we are committed to, yes, giving that 4%. Hopefully we can increase that, but also to sending out others to start churches, sending gifts, sending people Sending groups of people to start new churches across the globe for the good of the world and the glory of Jesus. And the mission is something every believer is called to as we are the church. And so as we finish, think about response and action. How do we respond to a message like this? Got a few ways for you. One is you can give to our annual Christmas missions offering. Now we start this next month, but technically you can get to it at any point in the year. I think I'll leave it on the drop down for our giving. So you might say, this is different from your regular tithes and offering, but man, I want to give some money just away at Christmas this year, and it goes, every single penny goes to global missions. Second is you might want to go on a short-term trip. Lord willing, in 2022, we'll take a trip to London to work with the McCoy family. I encourage you to take one of their prayer cards this morning. I don't know exactly when that will be, but you might say, you know what, I'm going to go on a trip to London with Sojourn. Number three is you can adopt an unreached people group and commit to pray for them. You can say, I'm going to find an unreached people group or an unreached language group, and I'm going to commit to pray for them every day or every week, whatever year is manageable. Number four is you can encourage and support those who are going. Ben, who leads worship, Ben and Julia, eventually, our, our prayer is selfishly God to like three years would be good, but two, three years, they're not married yet, but eventually when they get married, they've already let everyone know we are going. God has stirred this in us. And so you can encourage them now and learn how you can support them in the next two to three years and then support them beyond that journey. 
And then a fifth way is get involved by praying, giving, supporting, or going yourself. Put your yes on the table. Say, God, do you want me to be in Portland or is it, do you want me to be somewhere else? Where is the address that you want me to put on this memo in this blank check? And I want to finish by that, that last song. I don't know what Ben's going to play, but the last song he's played before I got up here. It says, I hear you call. I am available. I say, yes, Lord, I am available. Is that the prayer of your heart this morning? Is that the prayer of your heart? Because that's the prayer of our church. As we want to say, God, we hear your call. We are available. And we say, yes, Lord, we are available. Send us where you want us to go. Let's pray. God, we thank you for another week of We Are the Church. God, you gave us these examples in the book of Acts. And God, what a great examples they are. Of what it looks like to be a sending church. What it looks like to not selfishly kind of hoard this message that you've given us, but actually spread this message to hopefully all the nooks and crannies in our city, hopefully across the state of Oregon and the Pacific Northwest, all across our nation, and God, to the nations. As we know, there are many unreached, unengaged people groups who have still never heard the name of Jesus. And here we are, getting week in, week out. Not only do we get to hear the name of Jesus, we get to study your message, your full gospel, your full Bible. And God, may we not be ones who are so selfish, who just sit on it and enjoy it. God, but that we would want to send people out and that we would want to spread this message to the ends of the earth as you called us to do. God, we need your spirit to rain down on us. We need the hand, your hand on us as we go out from this place, even this morning. By your name, by your power, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.